What is up, y'all? This is Connie Morgan with the Free Black Thought Podcast. Today's guest is often referred to as Mr. Maestro. Jodavi fuses his soulful roots with his passion and schooling and orchestration to create live music that many call symphonic soul, a sound that likens to Earth, Wind, and Fire, the fifth dimension, your favorite movie soundtrack, and his background in gospel, R&B, reggae, and funk. Joe Dobby has opened for Grammy Award-winning artists India Ari and Anthony Hamilton. He's released over a dozen albums and singles, including his latest full-length album, Zion, which he has premiered all over the world, including the U.S., France, South Africa, and Israel. Most recently, he's become a voting member of the Recording Academy. He also helps run the nonprofit, the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel. Even if you think you don't know him, you likely do, as his voice is what you hear on every episode of this podcast in our theme music. His next show is February 11th in Columbus, Ohio at the Fuse Factory. You can click the link in our show description for more upcoming shows. Support someone who embodies the fact that there is no such thing as the Black perspective, just Black people with perspectives. The number you have dialed. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Jodavi, thank you for joining us today on the Free Black Thought Podcast. Uh, I think you're going to have a lot of interesting things to say about being an artist and being an activist and being a, and balancing that with being a family guy, being a husband and father, and kind of living a more traditional lifestyle, which we don't always see from our, our musicians. So I'm excited to, to get into that and talk about all things your art. But to kick us off, let's just start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? How did you grow up? How did you become a musician? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on this. I love this podcast. Um, I listen to almost every episode, and um, they've always been captivating. Like, I've been late for things because I would, like, sit in the car and be like, okay, well, there's, like, eight minutes left. Let me just finish this episode, <laughs> and then I'll run into work real well, quick. thank you. So, no, they're very good. Um, um, yeah, I, I was raised um, in a big family. I have five sisters. I'm the second oldest of, five, of six, and... My my father is a musician. Uh, my mother, she did play some piano and stuff, but she was more... So my father taught me how to play music, how to write music, um, how to play the piano, how to play in church, and, and all those things. My mom just kind of opened up my world to, like, silly songs, like rhyme scheme, you know, like, she mm-hmm. really... She also played a big role in how I approach lyric writing as well. Um, she, okay. yeah, I mean, so I grew up, me and my sisters, we grew up homeschooled. And one of the things my mom would do sometimes is that she would just make up songs for certain things. So like we learned the capital of all 50 states and each state she would have like this little jingle that I'm pretty sure she wrote like right there on the spot. Like she just made up something for it. And to this day, like, you know, I don't, I don't forget. That's how I remember the capitals of, you know, certain states and stuff. And um, so that, that played a role for me as well. Uh, I love to just make up songs on the spot. I love to make up songs on the spot, but then also have like these really cool musical motifs to it. So that actually kind of makes it funnier. It's like, this actually sounds pretty cool, but the, you know, what you're saying is kind of silly. And yeah, that's, so music came from that playing uh eventually playing in church when I was a teenager and and learning how to be flexible and not just play what's right in front of you or you know exactly what you're told that that kind of played a huge role in my development as an artist 
like moving moving forward from there. So when did you know that you wanted to pursue this as more than just a hobby or a passion? I always, so I don't remember this, but my parents say that they they knew when I when Beauty and the Beast came out, like the original, because I was, and it's funny because I don't remember this, but I, if you ask me what my favorite song or piece of music is from that movie, I'll still say the same piece. There's like this, the opening music when there's like the the narrator is telling like the story of how the the prince became the beast in the first place and how he was mean and all that stuff. There's like this beautiful music that's behind it. And um, yeah. And my parents said that after watching the movie, I, I don't know what year it came out. I don't know. Maybe I was four or five. I went to the piano and I started like figuring out the melody to that opening scene which my dad noted, he told my mom, he was like, he's not playing like the song Beauty and the Beast, right? The the more notable music, like he's playing that theme from the beginning of the movie, like it stuck to him. And actually, I don't remember that, but still, like if you ask me, I'm like that's still my favorite piece in the movie. Like I just love the intricacies mm-hmm. of that. Um, so from, from, I don't know, I, as soon as I was aware of film scores, I knew I wanted to score films for music. So I knew that like in mm-hmm. elementary school and middle school and high school, I knew that I was going to go to college for composition, get into film scoring and, you know, work in a, in a studio where I can work with orchestras and put music, set music to, to different films. And so I, I do that still. I don't do that as much as I thought I would. Like I still work with orchestras, but mainly for performances and recordings. Not so much, um, not so much films, but yeah, it was, Music for me, that was always the thing that made the most sense. Like I knew that's what that was going to be a part of my life, you know, as soon as I was aware that music was a was a thing, you know. Were you were y'all like a, a musical family? Like, what is it? Sounding are they the Von Traps? Like, were you like that? <laughs> where you have all these kids and you're all singing and performing and your dad's leading the way? What was that like? That's kind of how I like my imagination. Runs right, right. About your family, but the I don't Von know. Traps, yeah. If all your sisters have this. Yeah, this musical inclination and interest as well. Yeah, we we all um we all took to it in some way. Um, it was never something that was pushed on us. I like I was the only boy. I'm the only boy. I always wanted to be like my dad. So there was already this like, okay, well I'm gonna play the piano because my dad plays piano, you know, and and so that love of music definitely just came from from being his son. Um, but and then. My all my younger sisters took to it. My older sister too. She took more to um, a lot of other things. Actually, you know, she she loved to write. She loved to write novels, and she loved to, um, you know, that her thing just kind of went beyond like cinematography and stuff like that. But everyone's a creative in in some form or fashion. Um, my my second to youngest sister, Maria, we all kind of predicted that she would be the business person of the six of us, and she would eventually probably make the most money out of all of us and so right now she's on she's on the right track (laughs) she's she you know just bought a house and stuff and and so but even her she's she's not the starving artist she's not the starving artist like she does write and she does record and and she sings and she's amazing but uh, she definitely has she's kind of locked herself in with um in the in the business world so she's kind of doing doing really well for herself which is good But, but yeah but yeah all of us we have, you know, when we're all together, when we're all at my parents' house together, you know, on the weekends, we'll sing together. 
uh, we'll worship and, you know, we all got our harmonies down and we know who's supposed to be doing what and, and all that. So yeah, there's definitely that like family music thing that just naturally happens when we're together for sure. What did your dad do professionally music wise? Like I know he played for churches and stuff, but yeah. what else did he do other things, different bands he was in? Did he score films or? Yeah. You know, he, so he was, um, so he grew up playing in church. He was a, also a classical pianist. So he went to the San Francisco Conservatory. He's a producer. So he he produced for himself, but he also worked on he worked on tracks for other artists as well. I don't want to say the wrong names and you know get in trouble, but like some other gospel artists. And you know he's part he partnered with um, friends of his, um, really close friend of his. We call Uncle Joel. He's a really great drummer. They've done a lot of stuff together. He, and then yeah, he's done some scoring as well. Not not for film, but he's done some uh, some classical composing as well. But there's one thing that I I kind of realized as he was pointing out to me a few years ago, and it's that so like generationally, you know, I come from like the Washingtons are musical, and and my grandfather was a part of this singing group that he used to like tour around and and sing with. And my dad said that he always, my grandpa always wanted to play an instrument, but he never really, he never got to it. And then, plus he was extremely busy on top of that. I mean, he worked on his father's farm. He was a meat packer. And then he had like a really big janitorial service and all that stuff. And and so then my dad picked up music and he played an instrument. He played piano and he's playing in church since he was like seven, eight years old. And And he said that he always wanted to get more into composing. So he he would do some here and there, but he always wanted to kind of get fully into it. But um, so it's interesting, like to me now that that's where I am now is as kind of like picking up where he left off and where my grandfather left off in like being able to work with orchestras and and put on these these big productions and even even work with my dad um, in providing that for his own productions and things like that. So, but yeah, even even still, he you know he still has a lot to. Um, to teach me, you know, there's, there are always, always mm-hmm. things that, that he's like helping me improve on and, and things that we work on together where he can, or he still like gives a lot of wisdom. So, um, but it, it's great. It's great to be able to yeah. do that together. Oh yeah. So it's a beautiful thing that your family has. Now this is a little bit of a tangent. I mean, it's related, but just picking your brain a little yeah. bit. I have noticed that homeschool <clears throat> families tend to be creative. Like the, the product tends to be kids that grow up to be creative adults, mm-hmm. whether it's music or or artists, you know, yeah. uh, painters or writers or whatever. Yeah. Is that, but for your family, it's clearly generational too, right? Mm-hmm. Like even when your family wasn't homeschooling, people were creative. People had this artistic inclination. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's that artistic people with where, where they're creative in their genes are drawn to homeschooling? And so they produce creative kids because they were creative and homeschooling itself is sort of a creative outlet. Yeah. At least I see it that way. Like you can be very creative as a parent that homeschools yeah. or does homeschooling actually carry more, should carry more credit for creating and nurturing creativity? Like, is it more genetic and like the types of people drawn mm. to homeschooling or is homeschooling driving that creativity? You know, it, it, it's interesting. I never thought about it like that. I think it's a little bit of both. I think that because both my parents are creative, you know, they're the kind of people who kind of think, they always would think kind of outside the box or think, you know, about alternative ways to to do something and if something doesn't work they're like well why why should we endure it and and you know if the, if the public school system is struggling 
then why should we put our kids in it and, and endure that and ruin them? I mean, well, let's let's try to look at other options. I think that being homeschooled gave me the space to create, definitely. I, there are so many mornings when I wake up and my sister was smarter. My older sister, she would do all her work first. And so she'd be done by like 10 in the morning. She was always just quick. I would get up and, and go in. My dad had like a home studio. I would like go into his home studio he had his, a laptop, he had a couple of keyboards and some stuff. And I would wake up in the morning and do that first for like two, three hours. And I would figure out how to play things and record things. And I learned certain chords and tried to play what I was hearing. And then, of course, I would do my work, but then I wouldn't get done until like, you know, the evening time because I, I was also like a slow worker. But <laughs> but being able to have that space, it's just what my brain wanted. My brain wanted to create in the morning. And and mm-hmm. so I think that if I had if I was forced to be in this schedule where no, in the morning you go to school. First, I don't know what if I come home, what I wanted to create or if what I, would I just be tired and, you know, I have homework now. And so I got to do homework and hang out with my friends, you know, um, at school. And so it was it was cool for me to have that space. I think I think it's a little bit of both. But also my parents were willing to my parents were willing to be a little bit, you know, ostracized and talked about and all that stuff, you know long term. And I think that's a trait that no matter if you're, it doesn't matter if you're creative or not, you know, it's, you know, are you willing to make a decision for your kids that, that is, that may get you, you know, get people looking at you weird, talking about you, casting judgment on you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, And they were, they, you know, they heard all the stuff. Your kids are going to be too sheltered. They're going to be awkward. And I'm telling you right now, I, so I have to say this because I really do feel vindicated whenever I tell this story. So just a few weeks ago, I was in Atlanta for a show and I got to meet with some of my old college friends. Like some, for some reason, a few of them live in Atlanta now. And so we were hanging out and um, we went out to eat. And one of my friends said, you know, something um, she was, and she's a, she's a woman and and that's significant for this. She was like, you know, something looking back on college, she said, Josh and one other guy were like the only two kind of like not awkward, not weird and like weird toward women. And like, you know, they were just, they were like great to be around. Like they were pretty stable people out of like all the guys, you know, in our class. And I just had to stop the whole dinner. I was like, I just want to say that you guys were on my case so much for being homeschooled. And it turned out that it was all these public school kids who were actually the ones who were causing you the trouble. And I was fine. So I just want to make sure you guys understand that. And, um, you know, but that was that was what they went through there. People said that we were going to I don't know. They just had these weird ideas about homeschooling and then black family being a black family in the 90s. Yeah. It wasn't popular. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you know all about mm-hmm. that. Like, so it it was something that was strange. It was white. It was whatever. And 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 yeah, they they didn't care. They're like, well, this is we think this is the best. And I guess we'll just see what happens, you know, when our kids are all grown up. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And your parents are also obviously like strong believers. And so mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. there's something to be said when you have your, when your faith is in something other than stuff here on earth, right, you know, right. you're just trusting that God's guiding you yes. to, to nurture and develop your children Absolutely. the way that he wants you to. Did you get more pushback from other black people or did your parents get more pushback from other black people or, or the community as a whole, everybody? Cause you grew up in California. I'm not sure how many people were homeschooling in your in your area in general, white, yeah, black, or otherwise. Right, right. We got some, so we, so I don't, I wasn't aware of all of it. I kind of was aware of more as we got older. 
we grew we I grew up in Stockton. Stockton is very very diverse, large Filipino community. We were uh, we were very close to a city that was just north of us called Lodi. And that was kind of where the more traditional conservative, you know, typical white families would live. And that's where a lot of the homeschooling was. So, you know, we would sometimes we would go to like for instance for our French class, we would go to uh, a lady's house to teach us French. And um, that was in Lodi. Like pretty much when we had stuff to do, the tests we would take or whatever, we'd have to go to Lodi. And so a lot of our family friends, you know, in terms of homeschooling were white. And we did had a couple we did have a couple of black families who wound up following suit with my mom and dad. And so then as we got a little older, we had more of a diverse group. But it, my younger sisters were the ones who I think had it the best because by the time my youngest sister, Yasha, was we're 10 years apart. So by the time she was in elementary school, middle school, it was a little bit more popular. And um, she had she had a more diverse group of friends and there was less of a stigma to it. Um, and and you had more families from Stockton also homeschooling. And so there was there was definitely that camaraderie that was there. But, yeah, they the pushback that they received, though, was 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 pretty primarily from black families. You know, it was. Um, and I, I know I'll never forget this and, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if they're listening now, but I don't care because when this exchange happened, it made, it really upset me, but, um, we were, my, my dad was talking about, I don't know how we got into this, they got into this discussion, but I think it was over Thanksgiving. We're at my, my, um, my Nana's house and, you know, uncles, aunties, cousins, everyone's there. And, and, um, there's always some sort of political discussion going on. And my dad was talking about school choice. You know, and at this point, mm-hmm. you know, I was in, I think I was still in college. Um, so I, me and my older sister are, were finished with K through 12. My other sister, so my, my older sister, Sarah, my old, younger sister, Leah, I think was about to graduate high school. So, you know, you can kind of see the fruits of some of their labor already. And my dad was talking about the merits of school choice and, and all those things. And I just remember, you know, he was one of our family members were debating with him. They're going back and forth. And they called my mom and dad elitists for believing in school choice, right? Um, and I was like, wow, elitist. But then my dad, and I was like, woo, was like. Didn't you, the idea of you guys being elitist. I mean, elitist can mean many things. Right. But did, didn't, weren't y'all raised six kids in like a two or three bedroom like apartment? We were, at a, at a certain point, we were, we lived for a few years in a two bedroom house in my grandfather it was a three bedroom my grandfather's house after my grandma died it was all six of us in one room a triple bunk bed on one side Mm -hmm. bunk bed on the other side and then on the bottom of the triple my two youngest sisters just shared that bed there's like this much floor space uh like i don't know and that that was the thing is that people the perception they think oh you have to have all this money and i was like they you're still provided with funds It, it really is just the the you have to have the, it's time management, it's all that stuff, but it's not, if it's anything but expensive, it's just another, it's, it, mm-hmm. it's an inconvenience in terms of not, you're home with your kids all day, but it doesn't cost <laughs> you anything. Like that's not, it's not a, yeah. it's anything but elitist. Like it, and, and the funny thing about that discussion was the people who were calling my parents elitist, my dad pointed out that they, their kids go to the most, they went to the most prestigious private schools in their cities. Like you pay tuition for your kids to go to school. 
And I'm elitist because mm-hmm. we schooled our kids at home. First of all, schooling your kids at home sounds like something a poor family would do. If you, if I'm really going to be honest, right. like, you know, mm-hmm. and, but it's that, it, it was that, it's that backwards mindset. I never really, I can never wrap my mind around it, but that was the pushback was that, oh, you think, you think you're better than all of us because you want to do something different for your, your kids. I'm like, well, I kind of want my kids to be better. Yeah. That that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I think these public schools are not doing it. Yeah. And, and I don't want that. I mean, you, don't you want better for your kids? I mean, you put your kids in these schools. Right. And so, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's just that that's always been interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, when I think elite, I don't think of six kids in one room, <laughs> but that's just me. Okay. <laughs> We're like 20 minutes in and we've talked a little bit about your music, but they're probably like, what kind of music is he actually making right now? So what's your style? I know you have a pretty eclectic taste. Mm. If somebody's like, okay, maybe I want to check this guy out. Yeah. What what are we talking? Is it is it jazz? Is it R&B? Is it right. funk? Is it country? What are you doing? <laughs> so I've come up with the umbrella term. I think, my, I think a few years ago, my bass player alluded to it, but symphonic soul is the genre that I've come up with. So symphonic soul is... Soul music, you have a lot of orchestral elements to it, but it also encapsulates, I think anyway, other genres. I really love reggae, so sometimes I'll, I don't consider myself a reggae artist, but over the years, like, and pretty much every reggae song I've written, the lyrics have just kind of come to me quickly, and it was just like, boom, this is it. And so there's there's a little bit of that, there's funk, there's a little jazz in there, um, but there's like this... I think with all my music, especially when it comes to albums, there's like this feeling of a soundtrack to a movie kind of thing where like each track is connected to each other, like the track before and the track after. And it's a, the whole thing is like a journey It's like, you know, that, that takes you through different, different twists and turns. So I just like, I just like good songs. And I, I, the, the older I get, the more that I realize that like, for me, genres, I know I'm gonna sound I'm gonna sound like a um, like a woke person here, but genres are more of like a social construct to me. Mm-hmm. Like I think you know there are a couple of genres that I just I can't get, like I never liked you know death metal like but that's like a specific sound that yeah. I'm like I just my ears can't really do that. But in general, you know I've like I fell in love with bluegrass in high school. My friend introduced it to me, and then I just fell I just fell deep into it. And in college, I started a bluegrass band. And I love the lyrics that came with it. I love the turn of phrase. And I love that bluegrass songwriters are able to tell a deep story and have really great rhyme scheme. At like, like it was really cool to me, you know. And I like, I loved conscious hip hop. I love, you know. And so for me, it's like it's it's not so much the genre as it is the 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 song. Like, what are you saying? How are you sa- how are you saying it? You know. And um and yeah. So I don't I don't try to be uh, eclectic or try to cover a bunch of genres but it just because I love all those things it just sometimes if I think have an idea for a concept a certain genre will just kind of come through with that and and so I think it's it's been harder to kind of build a base over the years because of that but the base that I do have are like very loyal like always excited to hear what's going to come out next because they're 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 like me in that they just like songs that are that are that speak to them and they don't not really as concerned about what genre it belongs to if that makes sense i hope that answered your question yeah it does and obviously people if you're interested just go check out his stuff and you'll see exactly what he's talking about mm-hmm. but i definitely hear the reggae influence in a, 
quite a few of your songs and I think symphonic soul is a good way to describe kind of your niche if there if you have one <laughs> but I used to say when I was I've always had a pretty eclectic music taste mm. and I used to just when people would say or if you had to like create a bio on one of the like streaming sites yeah, yeah, or yeah. some you know social music sites or whatever I used to say stuff like this is so arrogant but this is like 16 year old Kanye uh I used to say like if I don't like your music it means that it sucks <laughs> Because I was like, I don't listen to <laughs> I was like, I don't, I'm not specific to a certain genre. I like all genres. Yeah. Like I even dated a guy who was in a metal band and I, I dabbled in metal even, like all of it, you know. Um, and, and when people would say like, what type of music do you like? I'd be like, good music. <laughs> uh, I like music that sounds good. <laughs> what do you like? What kind yeah, of question is yeah. that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I definitely can rate. And I'll say, like, this is totally and it's completely anecdotal. People probably get mad at me for saying this, but in general, I find that Black people are a lot more specific and narrow in their music taste than mm. than white people or Asian people are, or Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, whatever you want to call them, are. And the people, the Black people that I know that have that tend to have very more eclectic taste yeah. in music and they aren't just listening to kind of the core like mm. r&b hip-hop and yeah, really yeah, yeah. millennials aren't really even listening to jazz to be <laughs> yeah, honest yeah. like that's older right like my dad's generation yes mm. but not so much like i don't know anybody who listens to smooth jazz who is like under the age of yeah. <laughs> um, right. That's right. like totally like my dad and his people. Like yeah. I think I feel like the genre of smooth jazz is just like elevator music. I call it is going to just die out yeah. with them. But right. Um, right. I think so too. Anyways, the the black people I know that have that have more like eclectic taste mm. either tend to be mixed like me, so they were getting like white and black yeah influence at home, or they went to <clears throat> they lived in like whiter areas, so they were forced to yeah. be exposed to different different music. Yeah. Where, where it's cool for white people to explore. So like a white kid can live in like a totally white area right. and they're still listening. Maybe like 90% of the artists on their iPod are still black. Yeah. They're listening to hip hop. And right. Right. Which like is, that. which is the case um, actually. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I think, I don't know what it would, you know, you said a friend introduced you to bluegrass. Your mom had this kind of quirky taste and, you know, she was kind of like a silly, mm. silly songwriter. And mm. so you, being, I feel like being homeschooled probably helped you also yeah. form an eclectic taste in music. And then totally. that made you a more diverse artist. You know, you can't even define yourself now. Yeah. Like I have so many influences, which is really cool. Yeah, I, th I think that, I think you're right. And I think, well, so in my experience, I think that there is a, I don't know what the percentage is because they like to stay secret. We like to not reveal, but I do think there's a, there is a, a group of black people who do love a lot of different music, but they don't, they don't want to say that they listen to, listen to them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's not what we listen to. So I can't, like, I saw the joke about, well, I think, I actually think you shared it with me, but I saw it, people kept reposting it, um, like a, a Nickelback song, you know, and they're like, yeah. oh, turn that yeah. off. But then like, low like, key, low key like, yeah, like singing all the words. But I saw a lot of back, a lot of black people re remixing that reel and doing it. Like, and I was like, yeah. Which I think part of it, honestly, is like a, like you said, you know, it's it's a cool thing for a white person to listen to hip hop, right? But it's for us, it's not a cool mm -hmm. thing for a black person 
to listen to to listen to folk, you know, to listen to to look, turn on Simon Simon and Garfunkel and listen. People are like, "What is that?" You know, <laughs> right. like. Um, but but more and more, I think that it's becoming less of a thing, you know, and um, yeah, which is cool, which is cool. Be, but definitely being it's going to result in better music because people are going to be just have more diverse absolutely stuff on their playlist yeah. which is going to come out in the creative outlets totally yeah. totally i think it's a great thing i think it's a great thing yeah and then and then just yeah being homeschooled definitely helped me with that and then also just um being able to meet meet different people you know that's really what it is listen to what they mm-hmm. listen to and and all that stuff i think it's a i think it's a cool thing jazz I agree. I think the definition is changing. I know a lot of jazz artists who they're pushing the boundaries of what what jazz is, you know, so like they would agree with you that mm-hmm. there is a sound that was then and that they respect and, they, you know, they know that material, they can play it and all that stuff. But, you know, as an art form, jazz is starting to fuse more with with hip hop and with, you know, and artists like um, Robert Glasper, who he I think he has three volumes now of an album called Black Radio, Volume One, Two, and Three, and man, when that first one came out, I was like, same like people people say about me. I was like, what is? How do you? Uh, what do you call this? You know, like what do you call this sound? I mean, it's, yeah. it's it is hip hop, but it's definitely. Jazz. I mean, you can hear the elements, and he's playing piano and he's playing all this stuff, but that has kind of like redefined it. So I think that you know, probably in the next forty years, our understanding of what jazz is will be like sonically will just be different and that the jazz of you know you know bebop and and all that would be would how will have a different name or maybe we'll just refer to it as their specific genres you know straight ahead bebop mm-hmm. that is that so but yeah i think but with that i see a lot of more black artists like you said collaborating with artists that don't play you know our quote unquote our genres and it like mm-hmm. resulting in like really beautiful stuff I mean, there really is so amazing, such amazing things that come out of that collaboration. So it's, it's cool. It's cool time to be, I think, an artist right now. Totally. Speaking of a time to be an artist, there's another element of being an artist that affects, I think, all creatives, whether they want it to or not, which is Mm. the pressure and the trend of being kind of an activist, Mm. Uh, Mm. being, you know, people got on Taylor Swift for years. Like, why haven't you come out and said what you think about gay marriage? when she was focused on just making music. Right. I'm not a Swifty by any stretch. Right, right. I know like her songs that play on the radio and that's right, it. Right, right. But I know she was under a lot of pressure to like voice things and not be quote, quote unquote neutral. Right, um, right. Though I think maybe she was just like, I make music. I just, like, right. That's, that's not when I, I right. I'm not here to sound off. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and, but I think she gave, right? Mm. She is now like She's more speaking of an out a activist lot. Yeah. and and maybe that had to do with her management and the legal stuff. I don't know yeah. any, about yeah. any of that, but it's like, you weren't even allowed to be, just be quiet. It wasn't even that she had the long, the wrong opinion. Right. It was like, but Say we need something. to know your opinion. Right. We need to make sure. We, we need to know if we need to like get rid of you or, or keep you kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And so you, I would say, well, how would you describe your, your political beliefs or your approach to, and your approach to kind of leading your family? So, for me, I, I've always been opinionated, even like, um, even before I became a solo artist. You know, I had a couple of bands and stuff, but things that would, you know, I would speak out on things. You know, I've, my views are much more conservative than I think the average artist, and 
you know, being a Christian, being a Bible believer and standing on God's truth and all those things, it's, um, it's something that, that has always, um, I think, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've just, you know, if I felt strongly about something, I would speak on it. So that didn't really, nothing has really changed except that I, I, my platform is a little bit bigger now. And, and, um, one of the things I try not to do is speak out on everything. So like, I'm very content with not, with not talking on, on a certain topic at all, you know, and yeah. sometimes people are expecting me to say something because they know I'm opinionated. I'm like, no, I don't. I mean, I have opinions, but I think it would be really irresponsible for me to, to voice them when I'm not even, I, mean, I can't, I wouldn't be able to back them up if someone were to challenge me. You know, I, I want to be in a place where I feel really solid, but yeah, I mean, I just, I try to approach it honestly. Um, sometimes, you know, like what, what happened in, in Israel on October 7th, I, you know, I, I have another political, you know, I have other political work that I do and I post from those pages, but, um, I really felt to post a lot more in that time from my artist page because there were so many artists who were just were just parroting things and I just didn't it felt to me like like you were talking about Taylor Swift, like mm-hmm. either felt like they had to say something or they just really felt emotional about something that for me is is, is close and personal and, and like a result of years of of not just research but relationships for me. Um mm-hmm. and so that's yeah, an so example for, 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 for people that, who might yeah. who might not know, um, this will be you know, we'll touch on it on on the in, in introduction as well. But for people who who don't know, you're an artist, you're a professional artist. You get paid to to play music, but you also are involved in Zionist pro Israel work as well. So you've kind of mm-hmm. you kind of have mm-hmm. these two worlds. You and you also teach music, uh, and so you have this kind of creative and yeah. this political face. <laughs> You're two faced in that yeah. way, and you and you tend to not yeah. cross over a ton, right? Your music page, your music Instagram is focused on your music, and your mm-hmm. Israel pages are focused on Israel stuff and whatever else kind of political right. that you want to talk about. And you're saying now, yeah. after October seventh, it was like I have to, I I'm going to do a little crossover yeah. here, and where I talk yeah, about this stuff because, of, and yeah, it's just such a big, I mean, it's a it's a huge event, and it will be a huge event in the history books forever. Uh, and so yeah, yeah. you were like, I need to provide a different voice here because people who are just yeah. in the music world are really only hearing one perspective, correct? They are. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly it. It's exactly it. I mean, I I honestly, after that, I was thinking maybe I should just make it one page now and because, you know, I try not to get super, like I have, you know, I have a sub stack that's attached to Joe Davi. That's more political, but people can choose to read those or not, right, you know, but right. when it comes to like on stage or, you know, social media, mainly just posting about music, you know, and, and sometimes the messages behind the music for some could be controversial, but I, you know, that's just my, that's my art. Right. So that's, that's what I do. And, but yeah, after that, it was, you know, my reasoning for kind of keeping them separate was, you know, people just want to, they want to hear your music. They want to relax. They want to feel a certain way or whatever. And, and also I didn't want to, I know that for me doing this work, in Israel advocacy, but also Israel Africa, you know, relations and all those things to a lot of people it's like, doesn't really make sense. Like, why, why do you, you're not Jewish, you know, you're mm-hmm. not African. Like my wife is now, but even before I met her, it's like, yeah. you don't belong, you don't really belong to these groups yet. You're doing a lot of work in there. And 
But what's evident to me now is that, especially after October 7th, was like, well, a lot of you now also want to be involved, but you just don't know anything. So the only difference between me and you now is that you know squat. And I actually <laughs> been doing this for a long time, you know, yeah. so so yeah. we're the, we're the same in terms of our involvement, quote unquote, in this. And and so now it's like, OK, well, you know, I don't care. You can you can unfollow me if you want to. But um, this is this is kind of what I'm going to be speaking on more. So for the past you know few weeks after October 7th, the music kind of paused for a little bit because it really, like I said, it's just, it's, it's kind of overwhelming how many people just kind of got swept up in this wave um, with very little knowledge and context. Um, yeah. And I, I just felt like, because I like to write and then, um, and I like to provide, present information and, and provide context and, and receipts and all that, that I would just spend the next few weeks writing and writing and writing mm-hmm. and um, speaking and, and doing videos and all that stuff to try to give people some, some more information. Did you get a lot of like unfollowing you, bro, type of stuff, or did you? In, or maybe you had that, but then you also had people coming to you who never heard of you and were discovering you through this way. And they're like, like, what's the? Are you taking more hits? Or are you gaining more followers? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's right. Which one's more? So I think over over the past few years, that that's how my followers have. I, you know, I'll gain some, and then I'll lose maybe like half of that, depending on what opinion I'm very strong about last year, you know, I'm very pro-life. And last year I was very outspoken about, um, mm-hmm. that I wrote a few articles, posted some stuff after Roe v. Wade was overturned. And so, you know, I had people unfollow me because of that. Even some yeah. people who followed me because of the Israel advocacy were like, Oh, I didn't know that you, you know, were whatever. I mean, honestly, it's funny how, like, no matter who we are, you know, we're all very capable of being, of being emotionally compromised. So like, Otherwise, pretty rational people, I mean, loved us. Everything was like one person told me I had like a, a rapist energy from my from my pro-life post. And I was like, what? Actually, I think I remember. <laughs> I was like, that. what is that even? Yeah, it'd be like, what in the world? Yeah. I was like, how is that? So, but, you know, and then for others, they were cool with my music. They were cool with the message. They were even cool with maybe with the pro-life stuff. But then I started posting about Israel and you know, got like a wave of unfollows, you know, and for me, it's, I I like it because it, then it just, it ensures that my base are, that that's the right, those are the right people. I never want to mm-hmm. build up a base based on, um, or at this point now, I'm like, I don't want to build my base based on just my music because I'd rather not, you know, be in a position where let's say I have tons of followers. And then now after all these years, I'm going to, give an opinion on something. I feel like that backlash is yeah. just huge. Yeah. Um, I'd rather build it slowly and, and have a base of people who know where I stand and, you know, they read my articles and even if they don't agree, they're mature enough to say, okay, but you know, we respect him and um, he makes great music and all that stuff. So yeah, but it, it's been growing for sure. Unfortunately, like October 7th, it grew, it grew quite a bit because of, because of my posting a lot. Mm-hmm. And also just because people don't, everything from, Jewish people who felt unsafe, who were like, okay, wow, there's here's someone who's just presenting facts. To other artists who were like, okay, you seem to know a lot about this. I really don't know what's going on. I just see people screaming and you're not <laughs> screaming. So that's the first thing. Like that's the, that's the first thing is, you know, you're not screaming. And a lot of people have been saying, I like just the way that you present the information. It's you, you lay it out and then you are very clear about when you're giving your opinion. So you don't like wrap up your opinion in something. Um, and so that's been cool. And even in the midst of like my own, my core band, 
you know, I, I sent a message to, to my core band. We've done a lot of Israel stuff together, but then I had a, have a larger group that we, we haven't really talked about this kind of stuff yet, but I sent a message to all of them saying, Hey guys, listen, I'm in 2024. I'm going to be more particular about who I'm working with, who's, mm-hmm. who I'm sharing a stage with. Ooh, okay. And I'm going to be more vocal in general uh, um, about, especially about Israel. And I know some of you, we haven't had a talk about it yet. I don't know where you are, but if that's something that, you know, you feel like it's too much for you, then just let me know. And we can, we'll still be friends, but we can part ways. If you feel like you're on the opposite side of me, then we really need to part ways, you know, um, mm-hmm. because I just, that's not something for me, it's that serious. Yeah. And the result has been, you know, some of the, some of the ones I haven't talked with yet reached out to me and said, Hey, can you, can you send me resources that when you were talking about like X, Y, and Z on your post about this and that and the other. So it's, it's been cool because, you know, I think like if you're always ready to, and maybe it's not the best mindset to have, but like, I'm kind of always ready to lose <laughs> like my friends, like I'm always ready to lose, yeah. you know, my following or, you know, lose my standing or whatever. And so I'm like in that position. So it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to say, if this is it, then this is it, I guess, you know, I guess I'll, I'll just do music in my house and be okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there is like a group of people who black artists, white artists, you know, non-Jewish people who are seeing, have been seeing what I've been writing and has really been helping them and kind of contextualizing things and making them feel like they're not crazy. Cause they're like, okay, I see like hordes of people chanting all this stuff and I just don't feel like it's right, but it's so many people and I can't seem to find any yes. other information, you know? Yes. And so it's like, okay. I, I, it's like, I have a responsibility now to, as an artist to provide that for them now so yeah try to try to yeah and it's been great i mean your content has been as i say absolutely fire after the and you've just been you've just been cranking stuff out i'm like this this guy has a lot on his plate he's just writing and writing and writing (laughs) it's been really good videos all that kind of stuff i've appreciated it obviously um but i think that's the most common thing i've heard too is that people feel like I don't know if being gaslit is the correct word, but like they can't, they they see mm-hmm. something and they feel a certain way about it based on what yeah. they're seeing, but they're being told something else. Like you said, by like hundreds of people in the street, thousands of people in the street are saying, but yeah. their, their gut, their heart is telling them that mm-hmm. what happened to Israel is wrong. It's something wrong. And, right. Yeah. And, but the, yeah. but the world is telling them something else, but some of their best friends on their social media feed is telling them something else. So I've had quite a few people quietly come to right. me and be like, I'm so lost. I'm so confused. I feel like I'm saying mm. exactly what you're saying. Like who do, everybody's yeah. telling yeah. everybody, everybody's claiming that the other side's lying, which is true. You know, right. It, right. That yeah. is what's happening. Yeah. So how do I know what is mm-hmm. the truth? And it is tough even for, I don't know if you, you mean you're more, a lot more involved and know a lot more and have been following this stuff much, much longer than I, but even me, sometimes I'm like, mm. I, like when a report comes out, out, I really have to wait to see, is this true? Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I have to make sure Absolutely. I, I don't want to put this out and then have to delete a tweet yeah. or whatever after the and fact delete it. it is hard. Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 Really difficult. But it's encouraging to hear. I actually noticed mm-hmm. your dad's followership has exploded. Yeah, it is. And you know, it's what's interesting is that, and this is, this is what the, you know, detractors, the haters would always point to when we would do our advocacy is that um, they would say like, look at how many Jewish people or look how many white people support you guys versus black people. Right. That was their thing. Like, obviously you guys are on the wrong side because, because we have the numbers, right. We have whatever. And 
it wasn't so much that statistically black people are anti-Israel. It's not the case. I mean, you know, social media is not real, but they would look at the likes and say, well, these are pretty much all Jewish. You're just preaching to the choir. You know, you're not doing anything. People, people thinking that people looking at skin color, like look at how many people are on your side versus how many Jewish people are, how many Ashkenazi Jews or how many white people, you know, that was their thing is, but especially after 2021, the war in 2021, and then now too, like the, especially for myself, my father, our, our platforms have grown just amongst other Christians, other non-Jews, black, white, Hispanic, because people are, they want to know the truth, you know, and, and it's not just about, um, I mean, it's never been about skin color, but they're realizing that, okay, what is going on here? Yeah. I mean, and so it's, it's, all the things that we've learned, all the things that we've done, I feel like this this is like the most crucial, you know, October. what happened after October 7th actually is putting what we've learned really to the test now. And, and yeah, I mean, yeah, the truth has to get out there. You know, it really does. And, and the people who know what's happening, it's like it's you have a responsibility to, you know, to say it, to say what you know and and, and try to provide that context for people as best as possible, you know. So because you're kind of doing, well, actually, so you do, you're a little different than the average musician, not a little different, a lot different than the average musician because of your political views, because of your religious background, because of your Israel advocacy, et cetera, et cetera. But are you actually doing the music itself in a different way? Or are you, I know like music, music has really opened up in that anybody can kind of post a song on YouTube or put a song on Spotify now and you can be the next. Lil Nas mm-hmm. X or Post Malone or Justin right, right. Bieber, whoever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. the music music is a lot more of a free market than some other uh, mm-hmm. art mm-hmm. forms. But are there any yeah. ways that you are doing music a little differently or the same or like what are the ways you've had to adapt? Especially maybe your dad probably reflects on it too. Like the way y'all are doing music today is so different than how we did it back in my right. day simply because of technology, yeah. but also the, the internet, mm. right? has changed things. Yeah. yeah. And there aren't these barriers. Yeah. It's not like you have to know a music executive to get an album produced now or whatever. So right. Are you doing right. the actual music itself in any kind yeah. of different, different way or different approach? Yeah, it's, um, it is. So there, the barriers aren't as much there nowadays. I think the barriers are algorithms. And so, you know, there's, there have been, I don't know who these people are, but like, you know, they found a way to kind of make certain things still more difficult. And so maybe you kind of hire someone to help you boost your platform or whatever. But in general, I think that barriers have been removed. Things are a lot more accessible. You can get your stuff out there without a record label, without much money at all. Obviously, that makes it more saturated now because now everybody's doing that. Um, but also there's more there's more responsibility now on you to be to be your own manager, to be your own booking agent, you know, to be to be very professional, to, you know, not just play a good set, but to have a good rapport with, you know, your, your client and um, all that stuff, because you can't just, you can't get, I mean, you, you can get signed, right? But that there are more avenues now in place. So you don't have those people doing those things for you. And I think in a good way, I think it forces, for those who are serious, it kind of forces them to be more mature, you know, because they know that um, it's not just sitting down and playing music. It's it's the whole business thing that's behind it. It's responding to emails on time. It's being organized and and um, you know setting your schedule and setting up a tour in a way that makes sense. Um, it also means you don't have to do like ninety days 
a 90 day 90 show you know tour across the country anymore like you don't really have to do things like that uh, my friend was even just telling me like one of the things that they did was they looked at their Spotify algorithms and they saw like certain cities where their music was being played a lot. And then they would set up a show out there. And I was like, that's wow. I was like, that's, he's like, yeah, he was like, you can, you can look at your data and instead of like kind of shooting in the dark and like playing in these bars where no one's listening and you're like, Oh, please, you know, please love me kind of thing. He's like, you could just, you could just see where you're loved. It's like, okay, well I have like, for, for whatever reason, I have like a, this nice little following in Boston. I've only been to Boston once and that was just a couple of weeks ago. Like I've never been to Boston in my life before that. But I know if I wanted to set up something there that I have like these regular listeners uh, on on my Spotify um, account in Boston, you know, and I would have never even thought to go there if I didn't have that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's different. It's kind of cool. And it's, you know, once you can kind of figure out what, type of content tends to get more views and and stuff like that you can you can kind of tailor stuff to that um and it just makes you think more i think it's a good thing i think it's cool do you think there's a lot more musicians out there who think like you who simply haven't cracked the algorithm so to speak and they are not getting you know they're just you they're just so impossible to discover essentially because they they can't get the hits and actually maybe you're not as unique as maybe you appear to be mm-hmm. or do you think you truly are they truly are just few and far between i think i think there are a lot of artists who are really good who haven't kind of gotten their hits yet I, I do think so i think that um but you know there's something about one of the things that one of the things that is difficult about doing this especially within the age of social media is that even if you're an incredible artist, songwriter, musician, sometimes it's not quite enough. You have to give people something else. You know, so there there are sometimes there are people that I discovered that I thought they were just comedians, but it turns out they're actually producers, but they're funny. So they use their comedy because people like to look at funny reels and their page mm-hmm. is full of that. And then they kind of funnel people to their music, stuff like that. It's like you have to yeah. find a ways to cater more to people. And even more to, to labels. I was talking with one of my friends about my engineer. He's he's an um, my engineer. He's I'm on a small like independent record label. He's and my engineer Don. He's amazing and and we talked about this. He's an older guy and he he's from the era of like Motown and all that stuff. And he said that you know we talked about it back then. You would get signed if you know the executive's toe was tapping. Like he just liked the music. He liked your voice. And he was like, what the heck? Let's give it a shot, right? I don't know. I mean, this yeah. kid sounds good. I like him. So let's see. And, and you know, that's how you had Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson. Like people were just like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, this is really good. I think the kid's talented. Let's try it. And nowadays it's there's a lot of comparing you to big artists. Like, OK, how much do you sound like Rihanna? Oh, I don't think you sound enough like this person. We think we have a formula now for success and we have to sign people in, in a very, you know, who have a very specific sound because that's what people want to hear. And it's like, people don't know what they want to hear. They didn't know what they wanted to hear before Stevie Wonder was Stevie Wonder. He he was the first person who's to sound like him, you know, and people loved him. No one knew, no one heard things like Michael Jackson until Michael Jackson came onto the scene. Like that's the whole point of a creative creates things that you've never thought of or seen or heard before. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that um, now because of social media, people can just find things they like, but it's just harder because there, there's a lot of artists 
and I do think it's an element of some some artists they might think that they I don't even say better than they are. They just haven't found their niche yet, you know, kind of thing. Like um some really aren't like objectively maybe they're just not that great like they they are they don't sound very good. They're tone deaf or um they're really trying <laughs> hard but it's just, you know, it's just they're not very rhythmic or whatever. But I think by and large there's there is a there's a base for most people, you know. There's a base for mm-hmm. for I mean punk rock it, there's a huge base for that now and um mm-hmm. the festival i just played at in reno a few months ago was um matter of fact the, when i was playing the festival reno was on october 7th oh, yeah. um I, I was in reno when it happened and and my wife had just landed in israel it was just a crazy time but there were so many punk rock bands and i like punk rock i mean it, it's it, it's got its own attitude and everything mm-hmm. but um you know but when it you know when it first came onto the scene there are people who liked it and a lot of people are like, what is, it's just weird. Like you guys don't, you know, it's just bad. It's like bad yeah, rock, yeah. you know, and you're not really, but like it's found its home, you know, and like millions of people are like punk rock, like, you know, aficionados. So I think some people just have to find, but sorry. last thing is, I think though that a lot of us artists, I think not even artists, but just people with platforms, sometimes they've, as they're trying to find whatever their brand is, quote unquote, they lose who they actually are. Like your brand has to be based on who you mm-hmm. are, like it has to be the foundation. Um, because if your brand is based on who you're not, then I guess for me it's like it's like a, you're trapping yourself. Now you can never be who you are, right? If I if I completely never gave an opinion on anything, even though I had opinions, and then one day I feel like okay, enough is enough. I need to say something. I'm gonna lose like a ton of people. They're gonna be like, I didn't know that you were like yeah. this. You know, you you lied to us. And they would essentially they they would have a point in a way. Like if I had known that you were an outspoken or if you were a Zionist, I would have never mm-hmm. followed you. Like you know, what I mean, and, and so it's like you you have to base it on who you are and know that there are people who just appreciate that you that you are who you are. That gives them that gives them courage to be who they are. They just respect even if they don't agree with you. They respect that you get up every morning and you get on this platform and you do whatever it is you do. That's how you grow, in my opinion, a genuine base that may not be as big as someone else's, but it's right, way more right. loyal. You have think, loyal fans sure. that'll drive hours to come see you. And when you when you do a exactly. show, do exactly. people afterwards, maybe you do, maybe you, I mean, you're still small enough to where you can just like walk out into the crowd and talk to people and, you know, you don't have to be rushed off by security like yeah, Beyonce yeah. would or whatever. You yeah. actually go mingle with your fans. <laughs> right, right. And talk to them. Exactly. Do people want to talk about the music or do people say, hey, man, love the show. Also, that thing that you wrote on Substack, love mm. it, blah, blah, blah. Like, or do pe- are people music yeah. focused or do they want to talk both? It's both. And and I used to be bad at it because when I was in it, when I was doing a show, I was in music mode. So if someone wanted to talk about something else, my brain just <laughs> wouldn't even be. So I would be sometimes incoherent, like, oh, um, yeah, th- uh, thank you. Um, um, and I have to think about what the article was and what they're referring to and now I'm, I'm because over the years, things have kind of merged. And I think that my music is kind of, my music went ahead of me. So I, the music kind of matches what I'm doing now, you know? So I, I was writing music like that before I was even speaking out. Um, it's a little bit of both. So after a show, I'm just, I'm ready now for it, whatever the conversation. Usually it's, they have great things to say about the music and a certain song, you know, sometimes it'll be like, I cried listening to this, or it made me think of my, you know, my father who's not here anymore, or whatever, like really great, like, connection stories um and then yeah usually it'll be like hey your last article man that that hit hard like you know or i have a question about this right you know and 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 um 
which is which is cool. And I think that for me, that's why I don't like to use the word brand because that's that's just who I that's just I like to do that. I have I'm very opinionated and I love music, and so that's just that's that's me as an artist, you know. And so you get it, and you can unfollow. Okay, don't come to my shows because you know maybe I don't want you there yeah. anyway. If if my opinions make you that angry, then maybe you shouldn't come. And um, you know, it really makes for it really makes for great hanging out after mm-hmm. the show too. And that's that's for sure. Like being able to chill with people, um, like minded people afterwards, and just talk and all that stuff. So yeah, I know it's it's I'm, I like it. Yeah, I like and I it. feel like your fan base, the average IQ, and I'm not saying this because oh they they have opinions that I agree with. That means they have an a high IQ. A lot of people that I disagree with right. have IQs way higher than mine, right? I'm not, I don't, I'm not equating the two. Right, right. But because you're an right. artist that create that is also writing and like you're dropping, you know, you're linking to studies and charts and statistics and your fans are engaging with that mm. kind of stuff too. I just feel like your fan base probably does right. have a higher IQ, which does mean that generally speaking, they're probably more fun to talk talk with, even when you disagree or if, even if they come up and they're like, love your music, generally love yeah. what you have to say dude, I disagreed with X, Y, Z. You're going to have a fun conversation. Right. It's going to be yeah. Cool yeah. You and telling you that you're chilling for yeah. whoever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it is. I think, and I think it's, I don't know what the word is or the abbreviation. I think it's maybe EQ or, but they do, it's like their maturity level yeah, is yeah. much higher. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like even if they're, you know, like you said, yeah, most people that I disagree with, I would say have higher IQs than me. Like I, <laughs> you know, for me, it's like things are very practical. You know, I look at history. I look, I weigh it against things. Like, okay, like you were talking about before. Like, okay, if you know, for instance, like just going back to Israel, for instance, like, okay, why are we accepting reports from Hamas about the death count? Like, you know, they're the ones who just broke in Israel. So, and we we have receipts of them lying. So maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but <laughs> maybe we shouldn't just take what they say at face value. Like, maybe they're also capable of lying. Like, I don't know. I. You guys are the experts up here. I'm just thinking, like, probably not the best thing to take to just take what they say blindly and, and put on the front page of the New York Times before yeah. verifying, you know? And so, like, little things like that. So, I think the people who come to the shows and listen to the music, like you said, they may not agree with me on everything, but they, they're mature enough to, they understand my position, they, they respect it. And, and, um, you know, it's uh, for them, it's like, okay, well, that's, you know, that's you. And, it's that's cool you know we you know we don't have to we don't have to belabor that we don't have to scream at each other and they really respect me for maybe some of my other views that they might really like and they're okay with that they're okay with us not being 100 percent on the same page about every single thing yeah um, and it does it just makes for really great com- like friendship you know and all that kind of stuff if so right now you're able to do both you do like israel advocacy africa israel relationship stuff you do the music but if the music got so big that you kind of had to choose, would you drop? I mean, you could you could always you know say what you think, write what you think, do that yeah. kind of stuff. But would you have yeah. to drop actually like holding a position at a nonprofit, like working at a nonprofit right, right. that's about Israel advocacy? Yeah. If your music got so big, or do you always want to keep mm-hmm. it kind of this fifty fifty world? If in a perfect world, what would yeah. your professional life look like? So eventually, and I've I've talked with um, you know my my fam- my parents about this and everything my wife eventually i would like to do to do music full time um and mm-hmm. so two things use what all the the knowledge i've gained from being a part of the nonprofit for just years of researching and studying and all that stuff to continue to be a voice 
um, be like the biggest benefactor of the nonprofit to still be partnering with them, still doing, you know, putting together music for events, all that stuff. But I, in, in my head, um, not so much holding a position, but, but just being a big supporter and but being an artist and really, because for me, and that this is why for me, it's not just being an artist in this space, but really striving to be among, you know, the, the most revered in terms of not so much fam- not famous, like with, with, with people, but I mean, in this space, like, you know, there, there are producers in a space that no one really hears about, but everyone, everyone in that space knows, everyone knows who Tommy Sims yeah. is, you know, and most people don't know, everyone in the industry knows who Tommy Sims is. Everyone, most people in the general public, they know the song, No Diggity. They mm-hmm. know the song, Change the World by Eric Clapton. Mm-hmm. They don't know that Tommy Sims produced both of those songs, right? But but everyone in the space, so that's for me, that's what I've always wanted is to have like this high status in the industry, um, to be known as one of the best, the best arrangers, best composers, best songwriters for the purpose of, you know, Proverbs says that your gift will make room for you, you know, and, and place you before kings and queens. And that's, in my mind, it's, you know, to use that gift and then to be in those rooms to speak truth. Um, I, yeah. I was, um, I was supposed to go to, a, so I'm a member of the Recording Academy and I was supposed to, the same date as a festival I was playing in Reno, um, there was a function. It was the first function. I'd never gone to one yet because I've, I've only been a member for a few months. There's something happening in LA that I was invited to, to meet the other new members and, you know, the schmooze and stuff. And I couldn't go because I had already booked the festival. And, mm-hmm. and um, but a friend and I were just talking the other day and she told me, um, we met through the academy and she was telling me that when October 7th happened, everyone had like this big moment of silence. And one of the guys stood up and was like, look, you guys, no matter what your p- political affiliation is or how you feel about this, Israel's going through their 9-11 right now. And so let's all just take some time and be silent. And mm-hmm. um, when she told me that, in, in my head immediately, I thought, if I was able to go, I was like, that would have been the perfect time to be able to, to talk to people. Because one, I have a personal, my wife is there right now at that, at that moment, right? She just landed as it happened. Um, and two, you know, as people are trying to figure out what's going on, I can actually go, well, here's what's, here's what's happening, right? Here's what's, here's what's happening. Here's some more historical context for this. And this is how, this is, this is what this is and whatever. And so, but that's my, that's my ultimate dream is to be at the top of my game um, and still be able to speak to these things in that sta- with that status in that position. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. How yeah. did someone, how did your, I mean, your family already knee deep in this world, that pro pro Israel world before October 7th, how did y'all actually find out about it? Is it different for you that it is? Cause I found out about it through Twitter. I get on Twitter and I yeah. see the first thing I see is like hang gliders, like somebody talking about, yeah. It's airland and mm. invasion of Israel. And I went, and then they had a video of a hang glider. And at first I thought, is this real? Like I, this is real. Right. I was right. very confused at first. And then I, yeah. so then I look at the hashtags, what's trending on Twitter yeah. and I see, yeah, oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. real. Yeah. Uh, what's going on? How did you learn about, you know, how was, how were you being fed information? The same as everybody else? Or do you kind of have insider trading no. type stuff with your connections? Well, it was, it's so strange. These past few big events have been, it's been so surreal because the way we found out about this was Olga, she, you know, she was on the plane. She, she was going to Israel to receive an award for her work in the advocacy space, Israel, Africa, and also Israel advocacy. As the plane was about to land, 
it, the pilot informed everyone that we have to kind of we have to go up and and go around, which happens sometimes. You don't know what's going like as of going to Israel. It could be a terrorist attack, or it could just be that um, you know there's just no room on the landing plane right now, mm-hmm. like the, you know mm-hmm. whatever. So, but the pilot doesn't really tell people that right. you know in the moment. So, so she then got Wi-Fi on the plane and texted us and said, "I'm I'm pretty much in Israel, but we just haven't landed yet." And the pilot saying that something's wrong, and so. You know, we just were still in the air, but she was like, something just feels off. Do you guys know what's going on? And so that's when, um, what was it like 2 AM or something, you know, like the time difference. Yeah. It was early morning. My time, it was like five, 6 AM my time. So it was, you know, noon around noon, one o'clock. No, no. I was on the West coast. So she's even from, she was like two o'clock her time PM. I think so. What? Yeah. Around that time. And, um, cause it was, yeah, it was Shabbat, you know, morning or Shabbat during the day, that's what happened. So, so yeah, we just, we searched and then we saw, I think my, my dad was the first one to text in the group, you know, something from his friend, like we're under attack right now. Like, and then we saw the news. So that, that made it like, it made it so real that we heard it from a, a friend first. Yeah. Like, this is what's going on and we're not sure how many of them and Hamas is here and there. And, and um, yeah, so then, but then it was like, and my wife is there. So now it's like, I mean, we already are, you know, very much connected with, with Israel, but now my wife being there, like, I'm not even thinking about it in terms of the news. I'm just like, she's, she just landed. What are they going to do with her? Do they even know if the airports are safe? You know, what's, what's going on kind of thing. And yeah, that was, um, it surprisingly wasn't, people were asking me if I was okay, if I was stressed. And I was like, you know, for some reason, you know, I'm I'm stressed about how I'm going to get through each month, like paying bills and stuff. I'm not stressed about her. I know she's going to be fine and she's going to come back home. You know, I just I, I just knew that was going to yeah, happen. Yeah, you really weren't. Um, you really weren't stressed. Yeah, you were like, I was surprised. You were like, ah, eh, she'll be okay. You weren't that. It'll it was fine. Bad, but you I wasn't. Like, you yeah, know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I think part of me was like, didn't want. I couldn't freak out all the way because I'm okay. Now I'm with the boys. You know, it's just me and the boys and and. My oldest, he's four. We all went. Their first time in Israel was this past, you know, summer twenty twenty three, with all of us. And I think, especially for my oldest, he's very much he's very sensitive, and sometimes he can he just he's very emotional sometimes. And even after what happened, he he was cool, right? He's okay with one of us leaving if the other one is home. Like for him, he's like, as long as we both don't leave, he's fine. But yeah. after October seven he was just not himself. He was really missing his mom. He's very quiet. He was very um, just sad in general. Mm-hmm. I said, no, you know, mom, mom would be home in a few days. It's okay. But he just, he knew something was, he just knew something was off, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so mm-hmm. for me, I was like, okay, well, I can't also freak out, right? Cause he's, he's very much feeling what's going on right now. My youngest was just, he's just, he's a, he just, he's happy. And, you know, he's kind yeah. of clueless <laughs> to what was going on, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a real moment. And then the friend that I met in the recording academy, her mom was actually also, and she's, we're not Jewish. She's Indian. You know, her mom's Indian. She just happened to also be in Israel. So for her, it was a very personal thing as well. That's actually how we connected because she started seeing my posts. Then we became friends and yeah. we agreed, okay, look, you vote, for, you vote for me, I'll vote for you kind of thing. And, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, kind of thing, but, uh, but for her, it was like, it was also a real thing for her too. It was like, well, this is, this isn't just talking points on the news. Like, you guys can say whatever you want about Hamas. Like if something happens to my wife, I, they better be obliterated. You know what I mean? That's like, you know what I mean? And, and I think that most people don't even think about it like, like that. They, they like to kind of, someone was trying to defend them the other day. I said, you know, in their charter, they say they want to 
exterminate Jews worldwide, right? Like, oh, that was in the eighties. They they updated it since then. It's, oh, sorry. So they updated it too. They just want to kill Zionists and 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 uh, you know Israelis. I'm sorry, my bad. So they they've improved because it's you know it's no longer global. It's just you know in this certain region they want to kill a bunch of people. Okay, fine. Yeah. You know, but it's easy to say that. But then if Hamas busted into your house and raped your wife and murdered your kids in front of you. I don't think you would be looking at those talking points and saying those things, you know, and, and most people, um, they, they never have, have, have had an experience that close or will have one. And so it's easy for them to, um, just go, Oh, well, you know, and just say all kinds of flippant things. And so, um, but yeah, it was, that's how we found out. And, um, it was, it just, it was what it was, you know, she was able to do something. She had some initiatives she was a part of to, to actually help Israelis find housing in in the US, you know, like temporary housing. Mm-hmm. We connected with different churches and pastors and stuff. So she was when she was able to do that, I was like, okay, now she's there for a purpose because she's very organized and she was able to partner with some people and do that. So that was good. And so once, especially once she told us about that, I said, okay, that's her reason for being there. She'll be back home safe. It's fine. You know? Okay. And so this is a this is gonna be my last question before we move on to speed round and your final yeah. thoughts. So you found out about the attack before your show on the seventh, right? Yeah. So you mm-hmm. know this. Your wife is is in the country She's that's there. under attack, and you yeah. And you just like the, literally the show must go on, and you get on stage, mm-hmm. and you perform. Did you say anything about Israel at that point, or were you still like I don't know enough to really say anything? I. What I did was I post, so I posted a video. The first video I posted was there. And I said, hey, guys, I'm about to play a show. Um, if you've been looking at the news to see what's going on in Israel, um, I think I talked about who Hamas is. I said, you know, my wife is there, so it's, you know, be praying for her. And um, to my, you know, Israeli and Jewish brothers and sisters, like, my heart is with you. Um, it's just, I know it's a very tumultuous time. And so I did that. And then on stage, it's funny because this is where the music part comes in. Just a lot of my music speaks to Israel, the redemption, um, our personal redemption. It speaks to like whether it's speaking truth or or whatever. And so I was able to use the music just to say a couple of words. I didn't say too much on stage, but I did say one of the songs I said, okay, this this song is for my Israeli friends in Israel mm-hmm. right now, you know, and we mm-hmm. and we did it. So I was I was like, okay, well, this is my opportunity. I have to use my platform to at least make make some sort of statement here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, it's almost like a little bit of a, it's almost like a, like a press conference in a way. Like mm-hmm. I had, I couldn't just do music and not say, and not actually speak to what's currently happening. So that was cool. And then also having the opportunity to talk with my band about, cause I, I, I was able to bring it up because my wife's there. And then I, and then I was able to use that as a, let's talk about, let's just talk about Israel just for just a second. Right. Cause you know, for a lot of you, it's just like what's happening, you know, just an attack's happening, but I want to give you guys mm-hmm. more context. So, so it was, it was good. I really wanted to go home, but, um, you know, we, the show was great. The organizer told us we were really good. I think people were saying they wished that we had performed later that evening because the the time we performed, it wasn't a, we were played, we played in a, a nice parking lot where they had like all this great sound and stuff. And it was like half full, but it was, you know, it was like, I think four in the afternoon and they're like, Oh, we wish you guys yeah. could have played later. Cause we want more people to hear you. So again, it's one of those people were swept up by the music. And then some people unfollowed after I started posting more about Israel, but a lot of people latched on like my posts. Some of my subscribers, some of my paid subscribers on Substack have asked to have like 
phone calls. Like, can we can we actually talk mm-hmm. about this? So I was like, you know, that's that's a part of the plan now. Like, if you if you're a paid subscriber, then if you want to have like a one on one about this, we I, I'm willing to do that. And so I've been talking to them more, um, and they've you know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine where, and I don't want to get super controversial, but she was like, let's look at a map of Israel. I have a million questions. Like, okay, where's West Bank? Okay, where's Gaza? Okay, that's okay. Da, 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 da. And she was like, okay, then where is Palestine? I remember that she she just asked that. And I said, okay, well, you're asking. So let's, you know, I mean, let's talk about the history of that word, you know, mm-hmm. and how it's actually not Arabic. It's Roman and it, it's based on the Philistines, right? And, yeah. and and it blew her away. She was like, so I said, yeah, so no, there's, there wasn't an ethnic group called Palestinian. It wasn't, a, it wasn't, a, it was a, re, it's just a region, right? It's just this whole thing about, you know, where that word actually comes from and, and people try to pretend like, you know, it's like it was a deliberate thing. You know, Yasser Arafat realized that in the 60s, if I embrace this term, then people who don't know history will think that we came before the Jews because we're Palestinian. That was a whole thing, right? But it was like the word Palestine was not an Arabic word. It was just, it was a word the Romans decided to name the place. So like stuff like that, you know, I try not to be, I try to be prayerful when I'm writing stuff and I don't want to be, um, what's the word, um, flagrant and stuff, but some, but it gets to a point where people will just ask the question, okay, well then what are you getting at? Um, and then yeah, I'm able to share that kind of stuff. So it definitely was a good stepping off point, I think in Reno for this new, this yeah. new like era. So it, it happened that way for a reason, for sure. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Are you ready for the speed round and then your final thoughts? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Question number one, is cultural appropriation a good thing, a bad thing, or nuanced? Uh, it's a good thing. And your dad, this next question, your dad got it also, so I'm kind of chuckling, because it's just totally random okay. how you get the question. Yeah. Literally, like, draw from <laughs> hat, essentially. What is the worst part of being Black? Uh, worst part of being Black? I have, I don't have an answer for that. Um, maybe people expectations from other black people fair enough you can have yeah. dinner with any living person on earth who would you choose Ooh, um sheesh uh, uh any living person on earth i would choose mm-hmm. um i would choose uh i would choose thomas soul okay should the United States keep daylight savings time? Sheesh. I, that, I don't, I'm not qualified to, I know it's like a farmer's thing and everything. I just, I don't know if it's, I don't know how necessary it is. I can't answer that. Maybe uh, I would say, I don't know. No, they shouldn't. We should get rid of it. What's a movie that you like that everybody else hated? Oh, um, that's a great question. Uh, Superman. A Man of Steel, I mean. Henry Cavill. Is that the first one? That's the, yeah, that's the, that's the, well, not the first. No, that's like the more recent one. Okay, okay. That's one that came I, out a few years ago, yeah. Okay, people didn't like, I don't know. I've never seen any of the, I've only seen the Marvel. You told me about that one, how it has a pro-life message. Is that the? Yeah, the backdrop of that is like, you know, of that movie, they made it like Clark. It was the first natural born baby of Krypton in years. They were like growing babies from from fields because they, okay. women couldn't have kids anymore. Yeah, it's one of those things. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 
Has a celebrity death ever made you cry? No, I almost cried with Chadwick Boseman. That was the closest, but no. Should we tear down statues of slaveholders? No. What would your last meal be? My last meal? Mm-hmm. Um, does dessert count as well? You can say whatever. There's no there's no script. You can say whatever uh, you want. <laughs> last meal. My last meal. Uh I love food, man. Okay, my last meal would be yeah, pancakes, pancakes, scrambled eggs, turkey sausage, beef bacon, potatoes, fruit and and um a mimosa. All right, that's a you're a breakfast for dinner yeah. kind of guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those are my favorite days when my mom would be like, "Guess what? We're having breakfast for dinner." We'd be like, "Yeah." Yes. Yes. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> what is your spiciest take? My spiciest take. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I feel like a lot of my takes are seen as spicy, and I'm like, I just thought it was a, I thought it was pretty normal, like based on what I'm seeing. I think okay, right now my spiciest take is that I never I I think I just tweeted this recently. I I I didn't see how people could so many people could follow German Nazis, but now I'm seeing how so many people can because a lot of people are following Arab Nazis. Mm, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Okay, your final question. Do you think you could kill a person in self-defense? I, I honestly think that I could. I think that I could. All righty. If it was my life or theirs, I think I would do it. Yeah. That's your, those are your 10 questions. You got through them. And uh, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer. So thank you for humoring me on that. Do you have any final thoughts, things you want to plug and promote, a a thought you want to finish that you didn't get to? Anything you want to leave with our audience? Um, okay. I want to revise my first question. I think, I think, um, Cultural appropriation is, I don't think, is bad at all. I do see when people say that it's nice to to say where you get your inspiration from if you if you mm-hmm. if you are knowingly. But then it's also impossible to tell if they know where they're like there are lots of things I've written that I didn't even know that it sounded like someone else's. So it's like, how do you even quantify that? So then I just think the whole thing's absurd. Like, why do you care if they're using your sound? You know? And someone pointed out like the Moog synthesizer was was built by white guys, even though black people made it famous with the sound. It's like, who cares at that point? Just make music and do stuff, you know? Like, I don't, life is too short to try to like get people on like, oh, you're, you know, wearing this dress from this, okay. And it's just, it's threads. I mean, it's nice, you know, whatever. Like, anyway, but plug. So yeah, this spring I'll be doing um, a West Coast tour. I'll be in California. hopefully the Pacific Northwest as well. So I'm still working on that, but um, it's just a few shows and they're going to be orchestral in nature. Each of them very unique and each one will be actually different from the, the next. So the first one will be um, in LA on April 30th at hotel cafe. And then okay. I'll just be going up North from there. So. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Wonderful. We'll definitely uh, include links and stuff to your website and, Uh, as we get closer to those dates, perhaps we can promote them on our other uh, media outlets as well, because obviously we are 
very friendly at Free Black Thought with the whole Washington family. And it's <laughs> a pleasure to, to, to get to have that relationship and to get to know many members of your family, me personally, at least. And I know that the other guys at Free Black Thought and Gal at Free Black Thought um, appreciate all the work that you and your family do. And we love your music as well. And people, if you've listened to our podcast, you should know this by now, but Joe Davi actually does the theme for this podcast. So if you listen, you've heard his voice just singing many, many times because he's the intro and outro. So thank you for doing that as well. Of course. Thank you. And honestly, we love Free Black Thought. And um, thank you for having us on this platform, Connie. Really appreciate it. Yep, of course. No problem. I will see you around. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Free